Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. I'm Tim here today with Lance. How's it going, Lance? It's going pretty well. How are you? I'm doing well. We're here today in the Crawl Space Studios. We had a pretty intense chat with Art and Maggie uh, last week. It was a weeknight, a rare evening recording these days for us, Lance. A rare evening recording in uh, in the in Wormtown at the Crawl Space Studios, and uh, we were joined by our, our friends above us who operate a fantastic church. Yeah, they make a quick appearance at the end. They make a quick cameo. This was an interview that, again, we've been doing a few episodes uh, this year that have made me harken back to the days of early Missing More Murray, where we're getting into some minutia and some uh, some some heated debate. So it's, 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 uh, it's a fascinating listen, and even going over it for preparation for this episode, just started to get heated listening to it, listening back to it. Yeah, you're talking about the minutia. Yeah, this one is all about the timeline and some of the questions the community still has regarding uh, the official timeline about police SUV 001, about John Monahan, about where Mora came from when the calls came in. And, and we, we try to break down all of this and try to get to the root of some of these questions that the community has been asking since the Oxygen TV show. Now, overall, I don't see any problem with anybody looking at this and taking the documents that they have at their um, disposal, any documents that are public. Mora went missing during those few minutes. There were eyes on the scene. There were two people who called the police, and there are recorded dispatch logs. And Mora went missing while people were on the phone, while people were looking. And... It, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't get as detailed, annoyingly so as possible, into those few minutes. Okay, so that is what follows. And uh, before we play that, just want to invite you to come join the search. It's called Boots on the Ground Search. It's running Saturday, May 5th through Sunday, May 13th, up in Haverhill, New Hampshire. And there's there is a Facebook group that you need to become a member of. It's called Boots on the Ground Search. 
uh, Boots on the Ground 294, hosted by Nancy Corey. So search for that in Facebook. Join up and sign up, and you can help search this May. And that's coming up rapidly. Don't think it's 14 years later. What can we possibly find? At the very least, it still puts people up there in the area. We know somebody knows something up in the area. And if they see the presence of a community still aggressively searching for anything, then that's going to put some heat on some people, hopefully. So, right. And these are calculated areas that are now being searched. It's not like, like a net is being thrown over the entire area. There is a certain amount of people who are uh, a part of this search and who are taking part in it. And so they're searching specific areas. So if you've ever emailed us and you're like, well, check check this area, check this area, well, now's the chance for you to check it, you to join and check it yourself because there's so many areas that we've heard about, so many areas that we have ideas to check. So that's what's going to be happening this May. So come out, join Boots on the Ground Search with Nancy. Find it on Facebook. I want to make one correction before uh, anyone listens to this episode. I make a reference to Cecil Smith uh, responding from a snowmobile call uh, violation, and I, I say 7.08. It's actually an hour back. I think we were just a little bit fired up during that conversation, and I misspoke. I correct it later on in the episode, but if anybody's hearing it, and I give the wrong time, and you know I give the wrong time, um, we did correct that later on in the episode. So the actual time for that was six, it was during the 6 o'clock hour, 6.08. Okay, so follow us on Twitter at Maura Murray Doc. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks a lot for listening. Hey, Maggie Freeling and Art Roderick. How are you guys? Welcome back to Missing Maura Murray. Hi. Thanks, guys. How you doing? Good. Doing, doing pretty good. Uh, doing a little better than Maggie's cat, which is, uh, <laughs> well, no, looking okay now. <laughs> looking like He's here for moral support. Looking like he really wants to be there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thanks for joining us, guys, and finally being able to... Uh, Start hashing away at this uh, timeline, the official timeline versus the hypothetical timeline versus the uh, sheriff department log, et cetera, et cetera. I yeah. think our timeline goes with the sheriff department log. I just, I also hope this is the last time we go over the timeline. I was, I was kind of done with it. Actually, I'll tell you, the first time I was done with it was um, after the Karen McNamara ride, Maggie. Yeah. And then. After Cecil Smith's interview, I more or less put it away. We we more or less put it away as well, but there's still the community out there that have some questions. So uh, I think we should just get right into starting at the beginning here at uh, at 7:25, according to your your official timeline art that you have uh, put together based on the factual information, interviews, newspaper articles, dispatch logs. And information from law enforcement. Right. And the reason why I have 725, I mean, unfortunately, I think a lot of these times are a minute or two given here or there. Um, but it's the best we can do with the information that we have. The whole timeline kind of reminds me of like a 20-piece 20, a puzzle uh, because it's just not the timeline. It's also eyewitness statements. It's nine... One one calls. It's Karen McNamara, witness A. It's Cecil Smith. It's John Monahan. 
you know, it's Mike Lavoy, Dick Guy, the fire department. It, it's all these put together. And, and you have to look at the total picture. You just can't take one fact out of this timeline and to develop a story around that. And I think that's what's happened out there. And uh, to me, there is nothing that jumps out at this timeline that says anything to me other than what it is. It's, it's a, a law enforcement agency, a police department, responding to a minor motor vehicle accident with property damage, and the vehicle is abandoned. And really, that's it. I mean, there's nothing in here that jumps out to me that says anything was done on toward by the law enforcement agency that responded, uh, by any other law enforcement agency that could have been in the area, by the fire department, by any of the witnesses, by anybody else. So, I mean, we can go over the timeline bit by bit, but I think you have to keep in mind that the timeline is, is encompassed by a lot of things, just not by Grafton County log. It's, it's encompassed by a lot of other things, too. Okay. I think one of the biggest standouts to some people in relation to uh, your timeline and the Grafton County Sheriff's Department uh, log is Cecil Smith's arrival time of 746. Mm-hmm. So according to the Grafton County Sheriff's Department log, this is this is what was plugged in. Um, it had his dispatch at 729. He was en route a few seconds later, around the same time, and he arrived at 746. That That's well, what... Yeah, he actually got there a lot earlier, um, and that's in the interview that we did. In fact, I called the state police today to double-check that, and they said, yes, that's exactly what happened. So Cecil Smith got there earlier than 746. He got out of the vehicle uh, because there had been reports. You know, he was looking for somebody injured. The 911 call came in from the Westmans at 727. So Cecil Smith is dispatched at that time, and he responds, and he doesn't call out immediately when he gets there. He gets out of the vehicle gets out of his uh, SUV, 001, which was witnessed by the Westmans. He goes to Mora's car, checks around, see if somebody's hurt, and then responds over to the uh, 911 caller's house, which was the Westmans, and we all know how close that is to the traffic accident. And actually, Art, um, when I was going back over some of the transcripts today, I was reading the transcript with Chuck, and he said to us, that Butch also saw 001. So yeah, Cecil driving 001. Butch had, like, yeah. when he came over to the scene, he had rep- said, you know, he saw him in that car. That Butch Atwood said that. Yeah. To so who? Butch said that, according to Chuck West, and that is in the transcripts that we have from the show. So Right. Who did Butch say that to? to... I don't remember. Okay. I don't remember who he said that to. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any question that Cecil was in 001. I mean... Because uh, according to the state police, they have a high witness that it sounds like it's definitely the Westmans that saw him in 001. But it wasn't a question back then. So I think Butch just happens to, like, say, I, I don't remember. Let me try and find the convert, the transcript really quick. Yeah, I mean, I guess who would you have said it to? Like the the guy who showed up in, in, in zero, the... 001? That doesn't make any sense anyway. This is something Chuck West was recalling that I think was possibly in um, the call log or something. Like he saw... Cecil uh, arrive. Oh, okay. Oh, so this could be in the handover dispatch log that no yes. one's ever seen. Yes. This was something that Chuck was just saying to us when we were talking about 001. He said Butch 
Butch had relayed that he saw Cecil arrive in 001. Before we get too deep into 001, so what we're saying here is that uh, at 727, Faith definitely calls the Haverhill uh, or calls 911. Or is there a difference? I'm sorry. If she calls 911, does that go to Haverhill Police Department? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I did some dispatching for a summer before I went to the police academy. Okay. And, and, and basically all dispatch centers are more or less run the same. So you have a dispatcher sitting there that is taking a summary of the phone call conversation that they have, but it's just a reference log because you can always go back to the tape um, because all those calls are taped. Um, and I know there's a question about Atwood's call, why did that roll over to Hanover? Um, and we can talk about that in a second. But, yeah, this call went right straight to Grafton County, and we have the reference to the uh, 727 911 call from Faith Westman. So 727 is a definite timestamp. Yes. Okay. And and so we have to give Faith some time to explain the situation to the caller. I mean to to the uh, to Rhonda Marsh to the um, the woman working the dispatch. So are we are we safe to say that Cecil probably left at 729? Well, I don't know. I right. think he was dispatched immediately. Um, because you got to remember, this this is a human being taking this information down. So I'm sure they're talking on the phone. They could have been typing. Maybe they waited until afterwards. Right. And you glance up at the digital clock and write the time down. Right. Um, the the only real thing that would have that timestamp would be the tape. Right. Which we don't have access to. So we can say definitively that it didn't happen any later than 7:29 and 31 seconds. Because, like what you just said, we're talking about a human who could have taken the information, then looked up at the time, and then typed it down. So it couldn't right. have happened any later than what they had seen on the digital readout. Right. And then okay. we're, also, we're also taking into account probably the discussion she had with her husband about whether to call 911 Faith. or looking out the window and seeing what's going on, um, you know, 40 feet from her house. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. So... There, there could still be a window because you have a very approximate accident yeah. time at seven twenty-five. I mean, it could yeah. really. I'm just putting it out there. I don't want this to go any. I don't want this to catch like fire here. But it could have happened at seven eighteen, and they could have had a five-minute discussion. And then she's like, "Well, maybe I guess I'll call." You know, two minutes later, after my ramen finishes cooking on the stove. Right. And that's the problem is that some people are trying to make an exact science of this and that it's there's no science to this. This is all human right. error. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, these are all estimates. The, the bottom line is on any of this stuff, there's no gap in here that would indicate anything happened. That's that's what I come. That's what I come down to when I look at this timeline. Um, I mean, you can mince a minute here or there, but it really doesn't give you anything. Um uh, you know, all this was innocently done. Uh, again, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You have to look at what they knew at that particular time, what was going on at that particular time, and it was a minor car accident. That, that's what it came down to, and it turned out to be an abandoned vehicle. 
So, so just to interrupt really quick. So I found where yeah. Chuck says Atwood comes out or, you know, at some point, I guess Atwood's on the phone and tells us, I see Cecil Smith in the SUV. Didn't say 001. It wasn't a big deal. Then he says, I see Cecil Smith in the SUV. And then he sees the lights flashing. And that's, that's that. He says, you'll, you'll have to talk to Cecil about it. But how, how did Cecil get there so fast then? Right. Here's the burning question. According to Grafton County, it took him 17 minutes. According to being in that area and any estimated time that you go through for Google Maps or MapQuest or Apple Maps, it's anywhere from 14 to 17 minutes. And yeah, but you're talking about a cruiser going with lights and sirens. And Karen McNamara, he passed her twice. I mean, true. you got you to remember the other information. We have Karen McNamara that sees SUV 001 go by her twice, right? And we have a 911 call from Faith Westman. Yeah. Okay, so what, what, I don't, this is what drives me nuts. I don't understand the question after that. Yeah, it, it really isn't a question. This is just what it is. It's not, it's, it's part of the conspiracy, it's part of this theory that it's not, Cecil, I don't, I also, I'm not really understanding what the, what him driving 80 miles an hour has to do with anything. Right. Right. These are the, but this is what has always been out there. If it's just, you know, if it's not you know, because no, I know that's why you guys are asking. Right. It, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm trying so, to understand. So, like, so what you're actually saying is that Karen Weston lied. No, no, no. Michael Smith lied. John Monahan lied. Right. Faith Weston lied. No. Chatwood lied. The Marats lied. No, no. All I'm, all I'm asking, okay. all I'm asking is, did he come from the police station? I listen on that log. If you look at that log, wasn't he out at another call somewhere? He was out at another. He was out at another call at seven oh eight. Right. Right. And he was writing a ticket or something for snowmobiles. Snowmobiles. Yeah. 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 So what's what's out there right now is that he was definitely coming from uh, Haverhill Police Station, and we can't, as two podcasters, we can't say no. He wasn't. We have to talk to people who are experts in this, so we can put this to bed. That question would dismiss every other bit of evidence out there. It does. That's the problem. Right. Because people are taking one little bit of insult, pulling it out, and then wrapping this whole story around it and forgetting that we have, you know, Faith Weston's 911 call, we have Butch Atwood, and we have Karen McNamara. Right. So if the if the answer to this is that he was just en route between two accidents, or I'm sorry, he was en route between uh, the snowmobile call at 708 and and maybe going to you know grab a coke at a McDonald's or going right. to the station or something. Maybe he was nine minutes away from where he where the accident was. He could have very well been there. And then and then yeah, none me, of it's it an issue. Yeah. I, to me, it's 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 a piece of information that really doesn't mean anything. There is there now. It, now it would mean something if we were disputing what everybody else said. Right. I think some people are still just disputing who was in zero zero one. I think, and and I think that's what you're you're getting well, at. Well, because because people don't because people don't like facts to get in the way of a good story. Regardless of what we say or what we do, we know for a fact Cecil Smith was in 001. We have two or three witnesses that see him there. So what do we what do, what's the dispute? I don't know. What, and there's nothing to point that anybody else was or would have been in that vehicle. I know, you know it felt like I know yeah. it felt like a, a, a difficult path to get to this to get to where we're at right now. I know that the past like t- yeah. like ten minutes felt like a, a battle, but I feel like it has to feel like a battle to make people understand that 
you there's going to be a human element that that showcases human error or right. just showcases a human element and you can't just say he was at 2 uh 2975 Dartmouth Dartmouth College Highway the the home of Haverhill Police Department and it was going to take him exactly 14 to 17 minutes to get there he could have been anywhere in between there that took him the 9 minutes before he got or when he got dispatched and let me just say part of that problem too is that people who are you know, making math equations to do this timeline haven't even been up there and done the drive. This was a non-issue to us after we had done the drive, after we physically did the drive doing these speeds. I mean, after Art and I did it, it was like this revelation moment of just like, holy shit, Karen McNamara saw 001 and it was Cecil. There was this very small little window of five to 10 minutes that we found this little teeny wiggle room when we did the drive backtracking from Beaver Pond, driving the speed that she would have been driving. We even, I think, went a little slower than her, you know, just to give it like that much wiggle room. And it was the exact amount of time that it took for Cecil to get there, walk across the street to the Westmans, talk to them that Karen had driven by. I mean, it, it was just so obvious to us that is what happened. Yeah, we did right. the drive with Karen, and she was even saying how fast about she was driving. She, would, yes, she was saying, we did, we did it with her too. That. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, well, I probably wouldn't have gone this fast or how, what, right. you know. And, right. So on those roads, again, you have to do this drive to know those roads, especially coming from where she was, are potholy as hell. She right. was driving slow. She was driving pretty slow, and Cecil was flying. He was responding yeah. to this accident. I mean, the way she described seeing him go over the one hill that we were on and then come back up, and she saw the blue lights. I mean, it is he was probably doing at least 75. Really? Wow. And, okay. he, and he took that side road because it was yeah. much smoother. Yeah, because and the snow and the potholes. And that's what and you saw him I know that there's going to be a question out there, and I have to ask it, and I'm sorry, and yell at me once it's asked, but why is Cecil f- flying to an to an accident scene that has previously been described as just a car on the side of the road with no person injured? Well, we don't know if anybody was injured. Well, according to uh, Faith's and... Um, yeah, but you never know. I mean, Faith's Faith person injured yeah. from her house. She doesn't know exactly what the extensive injuries are to a person inside the car, right? That's true. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, you get the call, you, you, it might be property damage, it might not be. It could be personal injury. You don't know till you get there. I have to tell you, doing this for the years I've been doing this and interviewing police officers involved in internal affairs stuff, um, if there was something that was wrong here, it sticks out like a sore thumb. And you just don't have that here. And, and, and I'll tell you that, that the, the, the thing I find interesting is, although this accident, you know, a lot of people have said was out in the middle of nowhere, there's a lot of people that have pieces of information that when you plug them together fit in to exactly show what happened out there. Of course, the big piece 
we're missing is what happened in the five to seven minutes. What happened to Moore? But otherwise, I mean, Maggie's right. I mean, it was like a light bulb went on in our head when we did the ride with McNamara. And then when Cecil told us he was in 001, that was it. I mean, that kind of ended the whole thing for me. Now, Cecil went to the Westmans and talked to them before he called back to the scene. Is that protocol? Right. Like, how odd is that uh, for, like, a, you know, the situation? It's not odd at all. I mean, uh, Cecil did the right thing. He thought somebody might have been hurt, so he immediately got out of the vehicle, went and checked the, uh, the vehicle itself, checked the scene real quick, and then, you know how close that it is to the Westman's house there. He just walked the 40 feet and talked to the Westmans and then called out. I did confirm today he went to the Westmans first and then he went to, to Atwoods. Ah. Uh, secondly, let me just talk real quick about the whole issue with Butch Atwood's 911 call. Please. Grafton County um, has a setup, as do all dispatch offices up in that area, as they do generally anywhere, that if a 911 call is not answered within three rings, it rolls over to the nearest county as sort of a backup. And and what happened is, so it rolls over to Hanover County. Uh, Hanover County receives the call, and Butch says, you know, hey, there's a girl at this accident scene. So Hanover County doesn't even log it and just calls Grafton County and says, hey, we got this call from your jurisdiction Here's the callback number. He says there was a car accident with a female at the scene. So that's when you get the Grafton County dispatcher on the log itself calling Butch Atwood's house and saying, where's the female to Butch's wife? And, of course, Butch's wife doesn't know anything about the female. And that also answers the question how Cecil would have known that there was a female at the scene without physically seeing anybody. Yeah, it could have very well. They could have dispatched that over the radio, too. As he's en route, right? As, he, as he's en route or he's already there. Right. Either way. So, okay, so that was another one of these burning questions was how did he know? Who did he go to first? Yeah. Did he go to the Atwoods or did he go to the Westmans? And, and what does that I saw Maggie's like, why? You know, but, like, what does that even mean? But he's it's getting It's also, it. like, partially a non-question, too, because right. apparently this information came from Cecil himself in our interview. And I went right. back and looked at the logs today, and, yes, he— he literally just was recounting what happened, and he says, yeah, and I went to them and said, where's the girl? This is 14 years later. He's recounting. Yeah. He said, where's the girl? We don't know. He could have gone over and said, where's the person? We have no idea what he said to the Westmans 14 years later that he knows it's a girl. But yeah. hearing hearing this now and putting it, like, piecing it together in your head, I, I don't see how it wouldn't make sense for a responding officer to get information that was delivered to them from another call that came in specifying I mean, from an eyewitness this thing was brought up by conspiracy theorists. My first thing was obviously he heard it on the radio. Right. I mean, what? Right. Obviously. Now it also, what's interesting is the report filed by John Monahan on the 19th, 10 days later, basically says he overheard on Grafton County dispatch relay that the reporting party could see a single female in a driver's seat yeah. smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Now, I'm thinking, you know, this was 10 days later, and, you know, I don't know if John Monaghan's putting two and two together either. Um, you know, because when we when we interviewed John Monaghan, uh, you know, he was at the scene for a total of five minutes, talked to, talk to um, 
Cecil Smith never even got out of the cruiser and then drove on up towards uh, Sweetwater uh, way station. So, again, this just shows how much of a non-issue this is. But let's stay on it for a second because Fred is still making an issue of it. You know, yeah. he's still, Monaghan's like his number one guy. So, yeah, I don't you know, know why. I mean, so we, we talked we, about this in the documentary. Let's just yeah. maybe re go over why he has absolutely nothing to do with anything. Can I throw something out there as a, as a answer to this? Yeah. Maybe he doesn't have anything to grasp onto anymore. And that just makes sense to him at this time. Well, I, I don't, I, com- I completely agree. I don't think he's I, part of like trying to get a conspiracy going. I think he's at his wits end and he's like just grasping onto whatever kind of makes sense. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And, and this has been the problem. I wouldn't say it's a problem, but I think, I think to a certain degree, Fred has been taken advantage of. Uh, by some people out there, and I think that he he is grasping at straws. I mean, I can't, you know, I've never tried to convince Fred of anything other than providing him with facts, because Fred has every right to believe what he wants to believe, and I don't even know how I would react if one of my kids went missing. Yeah. So Fred can believe whatever he wants to believe, and I back him up 100%. I just provide him with the facts, and... He can believe what he wants to believe, but, um, you know, we just got to figure out what happened tomorrow. And I think you're right on with that, that um, assumption as to, as to what Fred is grasping at this particular time. So John Monahan here in, in this report writes that he heard dispatch relay uh, that, he, that the reporting party could see a single female in the driver's seat smoking a cigarette. So, yeah. so now we have Faith Westman's account with Rhonda as a man smoking a cigarette, and then we have John Monahan's as a female. So yeah. obviously, one of those sounds like it's incorrect because it's both one person. Yeah, but I don't think I don't. I, I think there was a disagreement actually. Uh, about... They had they they had said they had a disagreement. There's been a disagreement right. from the beginning. Right. About because Mister Mr. Westman didn't believe that was the case. Uh, if it was, it was a cigarette or he not. He thought it was somebody sitting in the front seat of the car with a cell phone. Right. Here's the other fact, too, that that people don't grasp onto. They take these one or two little tidbits and then go crazy with it and forget about all the other evidence and eyewitness testimony. But remember the flurry at the, at the, at the, the rear of the vehicle? Sure. Okay. Well, that was more of putting the rag in the tailpipe. Yep. We forget the rag in the tailpipe was there. We don't. So... Who else is going to put the rag in the tailpipe but more? Right. Because we tested all that. That that is something he told her to do. Right. Yeah, definitely. We're all a a million percent in agreement there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these things do come down to what what you've heard is true. And, again, you just have to, like, you have to, like, swim through the swamp in order to see it. Why is the rag in the tailpipe there? Because Fred told her to put it there in case her car was sputtering. She was trying to get her car out of this hung hung up situation, and it was sputtering. Right. So she put the exactly. rag in the tailpipe. Yeah, it's like, not shady. It's it's she was following his instruction. Right, but it's yeah. just right. not. It, but it seems shady. That's the thing with all of this. Karen McNamara saw exactly what she saw. Reading back in the transcripts with Chuck today, he goes, "Yeah, she was a, an amazingly credible witness. She saw every single thing that she." 
saw. And that's obvious. That's that's evident with the facts. Cecil was in 001. He got out of the car and went to the Westmans at the same time that Karen drove by and saw a car. It's 001. With nobody around. No one around. And I think the other key part of that, too, is I know everybody harps on the fact, and I know Fred has said this multiple times, but, you know, nobody went east. Well, Karen drove east. Karen drove east. Karen went home. And she didn't see anybody walking down that very uh, lonely road there, you know, just east of, of uh, uh, Bradley Hill Road. You know how, you know, abandoned it is out, out in that area, and she didn't see anybody along there. Once again, you have to do the drive. You actually have to physically go up there and see this area and do this drive to know that if there was a, if there was a single person walking east, it would have been obvious, it would have been weird, and very yeah. memorable. Well, especially after you see what just happened slightly west of you. Of course. Right. And she was adamant. We asked her a thousand times, did you see anybody? We know Mora did not go east. We know she right. did not go east. So what about this 911 call? I mean, I, I feel like a lot of what we're saying kind of, and, and I think you, you were hitting on it earlier, like a lot of what we're, this conversation is about kind of circles back to, well, was Cecil really in the SUV in, in 001? So it, if we were to hear the 911 call from the Westmans or even Butch, wouldn't that, wouldn't that put the whole thing to bed? Yeah, it probably would. I mean, we're not going to get that. Um, and that's one of the pieces of the puzzle that we don't have. But I confirmed today that, that they do have the tapes of those of those conversations on the nine one one call. Why can't we hear it? Because they don't they they're holding it for investigative purposes. So there's something else in there. I mean, I, there I could, there could, that's 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 what could very well be. I mean, there could be a description in there. Who knows? Um, but they they and don't. That's want the thing leave. too. It, it could be the most mundane thing right. in there it, it might not be this bombshell that we make of it but it could be something very simple you know that um like what person who took her or you know whatever the scenario may be is the only one who knows and if they say that then the police know this is our guy and after 14 years they haven't been able to figure out how to spring the trap on him no i mean it doesn't make any difference how long it is it could be a bit of information that if somebody comes forward and confesses and puts right. that info out and they know they got something. You know as well as I do, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are not really mentally stable that would confess to a crime like this just to get a little bit of fame. Yeah. And if, and if there's a piece of evidence that is being withheld by police that only the perpetrator would know, that obviously is key in determining if the individual is telling the truth or not. Thank, right. Thank you. But I think that there are people in the community who think that the the reason these calls are being withheld is because the bombshell is that Smith the Smith was in the cruiser. You know, so yeah. it's like a, it's a total circle. Yeah, but I mean, there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that, and and we've been I've been asking for it. I said somebody show me something that that changes this timeline or changes any of the stuff that we've come up with, not only in the show, but also all the other stuff that Maggie and I 
um, were able to uncover that didn't make it into the show. And I have yet to see anything. It's also a very difficult line to walk because you want the community involvement and you want them to contribute with a level of detail, but you don't want them to get married to a certain detail that just doesn't really, um, isn't really time efficient or necessary, like a minute here or there. Like, did Cecil, you know, announce to his dispatch that he arrived at X time or did he go over to the closest possible witness who had called in to talk? to that person first before saying he announced and and this, this is all just human this is all human right. stuff yeah and did he drive again, from meeting cecil he is a very nice human i mean yeah. he was a nice human he's a nice old grandpa man and <laughs> i mean people are also losing sight of the fact that he arrested jeff williams I mean, these are not people who are, you know, in some, like, cover-up conspiracy theory. I mean, there's a lot of bad apples out there, but... Yeah, but in fairness, I think people can use that uh, Smith arrested Williams I- any way they want, and they and they will use it any right. way they want, you know? I just, I, just, I just think what the trap that a lot of people fall into is they believe in a scenario and they try to fit the facts into that scenario. No, it's 100% true. It's 100% yeah. true. Making up math problems to fit your scenario. The alternative question is, if all of this stuff is like a conspiracy, then what is the solution? That Cecil Smith kidnapped her in right. cahoots with Jeff Williams? Like, is that in cahoots with uh, Monaghan? I mean, that's what That's what I don't... That's. I mean, that's why it's, my, it's mind-blowing. When I first looked at this case, I didn't think we had... I didn't think we had as many eyewitnesses or as much information as we actually have. Because, you know, I started out thinking, oh, my God, this is some desolate road in New Hampshire. And it's actually not that desolate. And we have, we have all this information coming in from the Westmans, from Butch Atwood, from the Marats, from the tow truck driver, Michael Lavoie, from uh, Cecil Smith, from Karen McNamara, from John Monahan, And... That's a lot of information. That's a lot of people talking about it. So if there's a conspiracy going on, this is like one of the greatest conspiracies ever known to mankind. Yeah. Out of the blue. Yeah, because it just doesn't work like that. Because they're talking about it, you're saying. There's too many people Too many people that had eyes or were close to the incident at that particular time to pull off any type of conspiracy. Well, we keep throwing around the word conspiracy, but by definition, a conspiracy involves planning, so that would have meant that all these people would have planned for just in case someone crashed right there, then this is what's going to happen. Yeah. I want to make a rare in-show correction. I said um, that Cecil Smith was responding to the snowmobile uh, incident at 708. Uh, There's a little smudge here. It was actually 608, and he was uh, cleared of the scene at 625. I don't want to get back into the time frame. I just want to put that correction out there. It wasn't seven. It was six. Okay. Well, that that does leave a big gap of time for him to be anywhere. Now, I but I I think that one of the articles, the SoCo article, I believe, said that Smith was at the station. I think so. I think that's where it came from originally. You know, I've got a lot of problem with a lot of these articles mm-hmm. because a lot of them don't have correct information in them, and and they've they've yeah. sort of prolonged the theory or the myth um, that there's some police involvement. Uh, I would really rely on the original police reports 
in the Grafton County Lodge to determine exactly who was what, where, and when. Um, but a lot of these articles, I think, you know, they're done after the fact. Well, let me let me put that in context a little bit. As a journalist who works for a national outlet where we are held to incredibly high accountability standards, um, some of these small local papers are not held to those accountability standards, not slamming local papers at all. I mean, that's the best kind of news. But I mean, in 2004, the, the standard to get information accurate, especially in a breaking news scenario, I mean, breaking news is the hardest kind of news to cover. Yeah. I mean, you'll see CNN and all the major networks making corrections afterwards. I mean, yeah. there's inaccurate information in these small town local journalists in these papers, for sure. This is the problem. I mean, the real the real document that has the timestamps and the recordings would be the, the tape. Um, and unfortunately, we're not going to get that. I asked for that a couple times. So, I mean, we, we can go by the dispatch log, but again, even going by the dispatch log, I, I mean, I just don't see a huge gap in there where something could have occurred. And again, what you're talking about could have occurred is, like, you know, we'll just, like, police kidnapped her and and took her away and, and hit her body. That's what that's yeah. what this conspiracy is getting at, is that the police had right. something to do with it. Or they showed up and whoever was kidnapping her at the time was, like, connected to the cops, so the cops are, you know, turned a blind eye and, and let them do it. Yeah, I mean, that's usually what happens. I mean, and, and you know, where were the Westmans during this time? You know, right. Um, what were the Marats looking at? So, I mean, there's people that actually had eyes on this up until the point that Cecil drove up. God damn. So it, 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 you know, it, to me, the time that everybody should be looking at is, is the five to seven minutes that she went missing. That's almost like kind of what I feel like is in Butch's logs that's not being released, is that he saw her get in a car with somebody and or saw a car that lingered for a hot second. Maybe she jumped in and the make and model of the car is not being released because that's what that person can say. I picked her up in X, Y, and Z car. I see. You know, something like that. Yep. That could be. I'm not sure. That, I mean, that, there's, there's something in those logs that law enforcement is holding on to. So whether it's that type of information, because we do have Cecil talking to Atwood, and Cecil actually asking Butch Atwood to help him search for the girl. Right. For the driver of the vehicle. That's true, and and Butch um, ends up and Butch ends up searching west, right? Correct. Okay. He, he yeah, went he, up Valley Road by the Avery. Yeah, he goes. He goes back the way that Monaghan went. Here's another thing that I want to say, like on record, and I think that on record you should definitely put in that Art does talk to Chuck once a week, and they're all like in that. Art, can you just uh, <laughs> do me a favor and say what your official title was at the U.S. Marshal Service? Sure. My my official title when I retired was I was the uh, assistant director for investigations, which meant that all domestic and international U.S. Marshals investigations came under me. I just want to I just want to remind everybody of that when we're um, making timelines and math equations that uh, we are lucky enough to have the highest ranking investigator in the country working on this case.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.